In the book of Joshua, at the end of Joshua, Joshua says, he talks to the people about the law of the Lord, and he says, this stone shall be a witness. That's Joshua 24, if you feel the need to turn there. Joshua 24, he says, this stone, verse 27, shall be a witness. For it is heard all that the Lord has said. We say a lot, boy, if these, well, I don't know if we all say this a lot, but we've heard it said, boy, if these walls could talk, Right? that's a scary thought. If the walls that you spend your time in, if they could talk, if they could repeat what you've said. So the stone's a witness, perhaps, but it's not our primary purpose for having a stone in our hands today. I'd ask if you turn with me to the book of John, John chapter 7. John chapter 7, one of the Gospels right there at the beginning of the New Testament. John chapter 7. In John chapter 7, verse 45, beginning, the officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees and said to them, why did you not bring him? Because they wanted to arrest Jesus. The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. Wouldn't that be incredible if in some small way, reflecting Jesus' glory and his mission, People said something in some small way, some similar about us. Yeah, those Christians at Austintown, nobody speaks like them. They are full of gentleness and love and kindness. Their speech is gracious and seasoned with salt. I don't know anybody who talks like them. They, they just, when you talk to them, you leave feeling good. They don't, they don't sugarcoat things, right? They're, they're not going to say, a sin's not a sin. In fact, I love going to them because they help me see clearly when sin is sin. No one talks like them. Of course, we're not going to compare to Jesus uh, nowhere near that level, but wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be a glory to God and his kingdom? People said that about us. So the Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the laws occurs. And then Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and was one of them, said, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And they replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. And now we're going to continue reading into the next chapter because these chapter headings and these chapter verses are not, they're they're from recent in human history, right? So we're just going to keep reading. When you're reading your Bible, you don't have to stop every time the chapter ends. In fact, most times it's probably more beneficial to continue reading. So continue reading. So now we're in John chapter 8. They went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. We talked in our class this morning about his habit to go to the temple to worship. All the people came to him, and he, Jesus, sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without Sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. 
And once more he bent and wrote down on the ground. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now on, sin no more. After reading this passage, holding a stone in your hand has a little bit different of a feel to it, doesn't it? Now, we're very civilized in our day and age. In fact, we're under the new law. We're under the covenant. We don't stone people anymore. We don't take our physical rocks and we don't throw them at people. Could you imagine if everyone went around throwing rocks at each other all the time? Insurance premiums for all sorts of things would be going up, I'm sure. There'd be all sorts of bruises and scratches. And depending on the size of the rock, because these ones we have today, they're little rocks, aren't they? They're not, they're not too crazy. If you gently toss it at someone, they'd probably catch it if they saw it coming. If you really pelted it at them, it might sting or hurt. If you threw it and you weren't paying attention and you just, just threw it as hard as you could, a little rock like this could hit someone in the eye, could hit them in a tender, delicate spot, cause a lot of pain. We don't stone people because we're not the nation of Israel. We don't throw rocks. But we spend a lot of time throwing our words around. We spend a lot of time with little words, with big words, with words that don't mean so much sometimes and words that are really heavy and the phrases and the things and the emotion behind them. And you can throw a word at a person and if they see it coming and they're ready for it, not too big of a deal. Sometimes it even just bounces off. Sometimes we can throw a word at a person. They're not ready for it. Hits them somewhere where it really hurts. Sometimes we can throw words that are so heavy they feel they have no option except to jump out of the way. If you would turn with me to the book of Matthew, back a few pages, Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says something very interesting in Matthew chapter 12. We know from the Proverbs, for later, for those who are taking notes, Proverbs chapter 18 verse 21 says, the power of life and death are in the tongue. That seems pretty all-inclusive, seems pretty powerful to think about the power of life and death being in the tongue. In Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 33, Jesus is speaking and he says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, and to clarify for context, he is speaking specifically to the Pharisees and hypocrites here, but in general to the entire nation of Israel. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil, I will tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. If we think about 
these little rocks and think about them being like our words. What are we doing with our words when we use them? Are we careful? Am I careful to never catch anybody off guard and throw something at them they're not expecting? Am I careful if I leave my words, as it were, laying about? Who knows if, if I drop one of these over here and leave it there, someone else gets up and walks over here. You know, one little rock, is, if they might step on it, it could cause them to trip. How many rocks could I throw on the ground before it starts becoming a hazard? Where someone is not just possibly going to trip, but bound to have trouble walking because I've left so many rocks in their path. We read in scripture of stumbling blocks. We read in scripture of being careful because every careless word has an impact. You might think, I might think, every single word. I'll just read again the words of Jesus. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Ephesians chapter 4, if you would turn with me to there, a single verse from Ephesians chapter 4. I don't want to be picking verses that have to do with the tongue exclusively out of their context. In the book of Ephesians, it's an important letter. It's being written to Christians. There's a lot going on. However, this particular verse in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29, it's listed in the midst of instruction for the church at large. So keep that in mind, this context. It's not the only thing required of a Christian. It's just what we are focusing on today. And this should not be anything new to any of us. I speak this to myself as much as to any of us. This is, this is a reminder. Again, doesn't mean, you know, I cannot look at myself and think, yeah, I'm not careful with my words and, and, oof, and then really beat myself up about it. I could do that, but instead I look, to the word of God, to do my best to forget that which is behind me in the past and to see what he would have me do. So in the midst of this instruction to this church at Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, part of this instruction is verse 29 of Ephesians 4, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. We're going to read this verse again, that part, but only such is as good as for building up. And I am going to read it a third time. Only such is as good for building up. As fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So we can't skip over that very important part about it fitting the occasion, right? There are certain times when you might, I might think, I need to say this or that but it does not fit the occasion and it will not give grace to those who hear. There are certain times when I may feel an urge to say something or specific things or whatever it may be, but it does not fit the occasion. So we cannot think, well, we can just, you know, we say whatever we want. I think the scriptures make it very clear here from these passages we've read already. We cannot say just whatever we want. And even more so, when we do say what we say, it needs to fit the occasion. The focus I want us to focus on there, the focus I want us to focus on there. You can tell I'm already careless with my words. I could have made that a better sentence. But only such is as good for building up. We're going to read a few more passages before we look at some 
practical applications or examples because it is so important to understand how God views words. And if we've forgotten, to be reminded. And if we forget again, to remember, I'm going to go to the scripture to refresh my memory on what God says about what I say. So we'll turn to the book of James, classic. I bet everyone's thinking, yeah, he was going to get to the book of James. I knew it. Talking about the tongue and words, definitely going to James. James chapter 1 beginning. James chapter 1, beginning verse 19, we read, Know this. So again, in context, James is writing to a church of people, just like us, of Christians. He's writing as a, almost as a kind of a beloved, beloved brother, beloved father type. He's saying, you know, I, I got some things I need to say to you. And he says in verse 19, beginning, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every quick person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. You know, it's easy to forget stuff because... I get really busy, and I get caught up, and I forget to slow down or remember certain things. Um, I don't mind sharing with you that in my car, I have a little note on my dashboard that says, slow to speak, slow to drive. Because you know what? There's, there's, there's some parallels there between me getting in my car and me talking. If I get in my car and I'm in a hurry, I'm probably going to be driving a little bit faster, and I'll probably make an excuse for it. Oh, I'm late gotta go a little faster. If I get in a car and I'm distracted and I'm angry about something, I'm, I'm not going to be paying close attention to my speedometer. You know, the easy thing about standing up here on this podium is it saves me the walk of coming forward when I talk about stuff like this. It's the same with my words, isn't it? If I'm late in a hurry, it's a little harder me to watch what I'm saying, because I'm late, I'm in a hurry, I just, uh, yeah, blah, 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 blah. What did I just leave all over the floor in terms of little stumbling blocks or rocks? What words did I just throw at whoever was talking to me? What did I toss at them without care for where they landed or if they were even ready to catch them? If I'm angry or distracted or irritated or upset about something when I talk to someone, it makes it a little harder to pay attention to my wordometer, huh? We read in the Proverbs or even in Ecclesiastes. In fact, I tell you what, keep a finger or a marker or use your rock to hold your place here in James. And let's turn back to Ecclesiastes for a moment. Ecclesiastes in chapter 10, verse 12, the words of a wise man's mouth win in favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words. Though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? We do not know the impact that our words can have all the time, but it's evident from Scripture that our words, every single one, has either an impact or a lack thereof. If you look over at the next chapter for a moment, Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 5, a quick note of verse 5 of Ecclesiastes 11, as you, all of us, whoever's reading, listening, as you do not know the way of the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. If you'll indulge me in an illustration for a moment, we can turn back to James. We don't know how the Spirit comes to be in the womb. I can't explain it. If anybody in here can explain to me how a spirit comes to be in a child in the womb and then life, like if you can explain that, we, let, let's have lunch 
and tell me that because I can't explain it. In fact, it's very difficult because we might all have different ideas about, and by we I mean everybody, outsiders, Christians, all of us have different ideas about how a spirit comes to be in the womb and at what point that life begins. For some people, they think, oh, when the baby takes their first breath. Some people, oh, it's got about the umbilical cord. They're not, they're not born until you cut the umbilical cord. And for other people, they think, oh, well, really, if you really, really think about it, I mean, doesn't a person's life start when, like, their parents meet for the first time? Isn't that where, that's, where that starts? And if you, if you start going down the rabbit hole, you can really think it goes all the way back just to the very beginning, and you think it's, it's really hard to determine when something begins, doesn't it? And it's the same way with the Word of God working on someone's heart. It's really hard sometimes to determine exactly the exact point where they become responsive. Who knows how long the Word of God works on our hearts? I remember thinking the, the first time I, I was speaking, and, and as a, I guess I can use the phrase much younger man now, I'm getting over the, I don't know. But as a, as a younger in time person, and I was speaking, I remember the first time someone came forward because of words that I had said, and I remember there was that little spark of, what, that was, and then I had to rein myself back and go, you know what? I don't really think it was anything particular that I said. But the word of God working on that person's heart for so long and how wonderful to be an instrument of God to read from his word to take that next impact on that person's heart to make it soft enough, responsive enough to obey the will of God. So in a similar way to where it's really hard to pinpoint how the spirit comes into the womb, it's very difficult to pinpoint how the word of God acts on people. We see it. Jesus talked about a fruit with good tree. We see the actions. So it's so important to us to remember this because every word we say can be getting them closer to God or the words we say can drive them away. Let us return to James. James chapter 1 continuing. Verse 21, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word, not hearers only deceiving yourselves. We talked about that this morning. If we would, for the sake of time, let's look at verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, that person's religion is worthless. If we turn a page over to James chapter 3. James chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Uh, It does not appear to be an accident. There's a connection between being in control of your whole body and being in control of your tongue. Some people go, oh, why can't I control my... Whatever it may be, I, you know, I, I, get a, I got this addiction, I got this or that, why can't I get control of it? Well, if we can't get control of our own tongues, how are we going to get control of anything else related to our body? It starts there. If I can't control what I say, why would I be expected to control any particular desires I have or any particular impulses I have? If I can't control what I say, it makes sense why I have difficulty controlling anything else. And again, as I mentioned right when we started, if you're, again, I'm I'm thinking all of these, how much they apply to me. If we think, oof, am I, uh, please do not be discouraged or downhearted or 
or filled so much with guilt and regret that it prohibits you from learning what God wants us to learn, which is how we should be using our tongues, what we should be saying, how we should be living. Continuing to read in James chapter 3, verse 3, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large, they are driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. And how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. If we would turn back in our Bibles to the book of Second Corinthians, the Bible is not so hard to understand in truth. It just tells us exactly what we need to hear because God loves us and he shows that by his actions, by Jesus' sacrifice, by the way he blesses us over and over, and God also speaks to us. He spells it out with words. He talks to us. And he gives us encouragement. He gives us warning. He gives us so much in this book. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Again, not to take verses out of context, Paul is, is writing to the church at Corinth. There's a lot going on in Corinth and Corinthians here. Uh, that's a whole like series of sermons to really get into it. But, you know, kind of for, for time's sake, they, they have some trouble. There's some trouble going on here and there at the church at Corinth. And in chapter 2, a quick note before we get to the verse we really want to look at. But in chapter 2, verse 2, Paul writing says, For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained. So there's pain here. There's pain going on. There's, there's words, as, we, as if you look at the Corinthians as a whole, there's people saying things they should not say. There's, there's all sorts of terrible things happening. But isn't that a quick note how true that is, that if you've hurt someone, if I've hurt someone, and I want to move past that, that I need to talk to them, If I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? Trouble is, if, if we're a good listener, we hear a lot of explanations that are owed to somebody else. Wouldn't it be great if everyone talked to the person they had their pain with, that they had their trouble with? Reading on, we're going to go to, still in chapter 2, in verse 10, Paul's continuing his thought about anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I've forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. And let's look very closely in verse 11, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his designs. I don't like being outwitted. More than that, I do not enjoy admitting I've been outwitted by anyone to think about the fact that I have been outwitted by Satan. Verse 
No one wants to admit it, but we have. By way of applications, words are so individual and subjective. I'm not going to stand up here and pretend to say, this is a phrase that will solve this situation. Because in some situations, it might be helpful. In others, it won't. Everybody has their own history of family, of culture, of where they've come from, of what childhood they had, what adulthood they've had. So some words hold different meanings for different people. We know from Scripture, what really, really matters is what is in our hearts when we're saying those words. Because if what's in your heart is good, then what will come out of you will be good. That's not to say we can't be misunderstood or we can't speak out of turn and say something that doesn't fit the occasion. Many good things are said that did not fit the occasion. Said it in love, said it in whatever, but it wasn't the right time and it wasn't that helpful because it wasn't the right time. So I will offer a few ways you can measure yourself, not against my ideas or what the world says or people around us, but against God and his word. So if I asked you to think about every word you said ever in your life, first off, we know that's difficult. For, I would say all of us, but who knows? For most of us, it's difficult to remember every word. I know I can't. In the same way that I cannot remember every single meal I've ever eaten, but yet all of those meals have made me who I am right now. I cannot remember every single book I've ever read, every line, but in the same way, every book that I've read, every line and way of thinking I've looked at has its impact on the way I think and act now. Every single word that has been said to me and every single word that I have said to somebody else, they make us who we are now. So when you think about the words, when I think about the words, when we think about all the words we've said, are we comfortable taking every single word we've ever said to God in prayer? I, again, happy to be up here. Saves me the walk to come forward. There are things I've said in my life. I'll, I'll say I've said them the other day because the other day could be as last week. It could be 10 years ago. There have been things I say in my life, I'm like, I'm not comfortable saying that to God in prayer. To give you an example, not specific or particular, but you know, think of someone who says mean, nasty things all the time, or even just some of the time, or maybe to them it doesn't sound mean and nasty because that's all they've ever known. And you say, would you, would you say that to God in prayer? God, those people, blah, blah, blah. Didn't Jesus have a whole little talk about the person who stands up and says, God, I'm glad I'm not like these sinners over here. Glad I'm good. And when we pray to God, we understand we're approaching God. We're approaching our creator. God uses words to speak to us, but God also, it's so clear that he is God. God doesn't have to put his signature in a sunset for you to know that he's the one who created it. God doesn't have to put a copyright on the birds as they're singing for us to understand where they came from. God is all-powerful. God is all-loving. So when we approach him in prayer, we know that he searches our heart. We know that he, and so it's, it's easy to make sure I'm only saying good things to God. 
I, I wouldn't dare say something inappropriate in a prayer to God. I wouldn't dare say a word that I can't say on TV in a prayer to God. I wouldn't dare show partiality in a prayer to God. So let's just apply that same rubric to ourselves. It doesn't mean we can never talk about sin or things that are bad because that's how we learn about them. We improve. We grow better. We name things that are sin. We separate ourselves from sin. We don't have fellowship with the works of darkness. It doesn't mean we can't ever talk to somebody who's doing something bad because that's how we get the gospel to them. It doesn't mean we can't even spend some time with them, but we don't have fellowship. We don't say everything you're doing is perfectly fine by me and it doesn't bother me at all. And it's important to remember that when we say it doesn't bother me at all, what we really mean is it doesn't bother me because I want to be as holy as possible and live a godly life. And this particular thing feels to me, because of scripture, not just because of how I feel, because of scripture, it's not something I really want to be a part of. I want to be a part of what God talks about. I don't want to be a part of this. Turn with me to a few pages back to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the way of love if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So you can talk a lot, but if you don't have love, if I don't have love, just a noise. It's just a noise. And how many times are our words just a noise? <coughs> Moving forward a few verses, the classic in verse 4, talking about love and its characteristics, here's a great way to, me- well, let me rephrase and pause. Better be careful with my words when talking about being careful with words. A way that is very helpful for me to measure myself, to see if I am anywhere approaching the standard of Jesus, not that I have already attained, but I always work on it, is I like to replace the word love in these verses with my own name and see if it's true. Can I say, David is patient and kind? Can I say David does not envy or boast? David is not arrogant or rude. David is not irritable or resentful. David does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Can I say truthfully that David, me, that I, bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things? Don't have to do it right now, but I encourage you to give that a whirl. Give it a try. Say it in a prayer to God. Substitute your name for love and pray to God and see if you're able to speak truthfully to your creator who formed you. Sometimes I can say all those words I feel. Sometimes I can't. When we think about the idea of our words as if they were rocks, you know, we got to be so careful with what we throw at other people, what we toss on them. We have to understand that the words we say can make such a difference for better or for worse. If someone was walking down the road and all of a sudden someone pulls up with a dump truck full of bricks beside them and just upends the dump truck and dumps all the bricks in that person while they're walking, we'd all say, that was terrible. That was so uncalled for. 
In fact, that, that, that's probably criminal in most societies. Definitely bad, not good. Uh, well, he didn't see the person. Still careless, why aren't you checking before you unload all your bricks? Well, he didn't mean to hurt them. He still should have checked, or she still should have checked before they unloaded all their bricks. We gotta be so careful with what we say. We gotta be so careful with how we use our words. Imagine if you have someone who's going through their life and every person they see just chucks a rock at them, right? Hey, how are you? That's a rock, just a word. How's life going? Chucks a rock. If it's just a bunch of little rocks, it's not a lot, right? It's like, bounce along. Hey, yeah, I'm doing fine. Ha, huh? have a great day, bye. Just little rocks. What if someone goes through their life and the person talking to them uses words such as, to use some of the phrases that Wes used about perhaps parents or family members who don't, you're worthless. Yeah, that's not a little rock. That's a brick. Ugly brick. Jagged edges. Heavy. What if a person hears you're worthless over and over and over, and every time they see someone, they don't even, they don't even have to have the brick thrown at them. They just expect it. So they might walk past someone who would never dare to throw a brick like that at them, but this person is so used to having bricks thrown at them that they flinch, they shrink back. They just expect it. We should never underestimate the power of our words. We should never, ever think that we can be careless with our words. Turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 8. This will be our last passage this morning. A few more thoughts before we read Romans, chapter 8. A few more possible applications, and then the lesson will be yours. Romans, chapter 8. The question then becomes, well, if I've got to be careful with my words, if I've got to make sure I'm speaking good, only such things which are necessary for building up, only such things as give grace to those who hear. If I, if I, what if I don't know what to say? If you're not certain, if, if I'm not certain what to say, and I've got doubt, right? Like we talked about perhaps even in our class, if I'm wavering on should I, should I say this? You know, perhaps there are many times where I should just be quiet. Perhaps there are many times where If I'm thinking something, I don't know if it's accurate or true or whatever, perhaps I should just not throw that out. It's tough to be quiet sometimes, right? We're not used to it, but it could be good. It's interesting to look at scriptures where we say, judge not by appearance. And then we have another scripture that says, avoid any appearance of evil. So we see that we are called to a higher standard as Christians. It's not enough to just not judge someone else by their appearance, right? To think for a sinner, for an outsider, for someone who I do not know, I'm not familiar with, even someone in the church, even someone in my own family. It's not enough just to not judge them by appearance, but I am called to be even better and to have no appearance of evil in my life, to avoid even the appearance of it. And that's tricky sometimes, right? Do we think about it? You know, I remember uh, one time way back in, in, in college, I was picking up a friend, and he said, hey, meet me at, you know, in front of this store. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I went and parked, was waiting for him, looked over, and realized that in that same little strip, there was, there was, there was this liquor store. And I'm like... I started sinking down in my chair a little bit. I'm like, man, if one of the brethren or sisters drive by, I'm going to be a drunk before I get home tonight. Like, if they see me here, they're going to be like, what's he doing in that liquor store parking lot? Now, perhaps I was overthinking it, And you know what? Maybe even, um, yeah, overthinking it, sure. But the appearance of evil, 
right? You know, thinking, well, what's, what's, evil about, what's evil about a liquor store? Are we taking so much care with the way we walk and the way we live our lives that no one could say anything about us and cause reproach to the kingdom of God? Are we living such a blameless life, not even any appearance, possibility of anything that could be spoken evil of us about? If we can be careless with our words, I assure you, people who are not trying to be careful with their words will be careless when they talk about us. There's a poem I'd like to read. It's not a scripture, but I believe it helpful. The poem is by a gentleman named R.L. Sharp, and it's short and goes as so. Isn't it strange how princes and kings and clowns that caper in sawdust rings and common people like you and me are builders for eternity? Each is given a list of rules, a shapeless mass, a bag of tools, and each must fashion, ere life is flown, a stumbling block or a stepping stone. When we feel like we don't know the right words, let us turn our attentions to the book of Romans, chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 26, beginning. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, also glorified. Remember in Matthew, by our words we'll be justified. By our words we'll be condemned. And here we read that Jesus is the one who does the justifying or that condemning. If there's a, say, a wedding feast... And I try to get into it, and I go up to the gate. And they say, who are you? I'm like, I'm David. They're like, you're not on the list. I'm like, oh, it's cool. I know the the groom. They say, you're not on the list. But I know the groom. Like, I I know him well. We spend a lot of time together. I'm always talking about my buddy, the groom. We're always doing a lot of stuff together. We're best friends. You gotta let me in. I don't get in unless that groom knows me. Many, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, they know him. They know who he is. Even the demons believe and they tremble. Lord, Lord, did, didn't, we, didn't, we, didn't we do so much stuff together? Didn't, didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we do great works? Lord, Lord, it's me, it's me. If Jesus does not know me, when that time where my soul is required of me, when I get into that promised land, or rather at the threshold, if Jesus does not know me, I'm going to regret all the words that have led me to that point.
I'm going to regret all the words I didn't say that I should have. I'll regret the words that I did say that I shouldn't have. We always talk about fleeing temptation. I can't believe I said that again. I can't believe I said another thing like that. That hurt someone's feelings. I can't believe I said that other. You know, it's, it's, it's funny how often when I flee temptation, I leave a little forwarding address for temptation to find me again. If I don't cut it off, if I don't put it to death, if I don't stop, if I don't say I'm replacing this with things that are good and pure and honorable and profitable, if I don't take my mouth and the words I say and say, I am never, ever, ever going to say something hateful about a person or a group, I'm going to replace that with only things which are good. Jesus won't know me. He justifies us. His blood washes away our sins. A godly life is great gain, but it's Jesus who knows us by our fruit, by our work, by our words, and it's he who justifies us. In a moment, we'll sing a hymn, I am praying for you. I didn't ask Mike to pick it, but it's perfect. It's about praying for someone. Oh, that I could bring you with me too when I get to heaven. I have a father. I have a peace. It's a beautiful hymn. Are you praying so much for yourself, for others, that God knows you? You're a frequent conversation with God. Because if a stone can be a witness and hear what we say, God certainly hears what we say. I will end by telling you what sort of person I want to be. And I would think it would be a similar type for you. I want to spend every hour doing good. I want to talk of Jesus and his love. I want to have the strength to comprehend the breadth of his love. Because there's times I don't even feel strong enough to understand. I want to spend so much time with my words, using the words that Jesus used, talking like Jesus talked, to say with all my life, this is who Jesus is. This is who I am because I know who Jesus is. Then, at that time, when my soul is required of me, and I stand at that door, after spending an entire life proclaiming who Jesus is with every action, with every word, how wonderful it would be to hear Jesus say to God the Father, let me tell you, who David is. We have a father who loves us. We have a peace that gets us through this life. And I wish that you could have it too. If we can help you in any way, please come forward while together we stand.